0: Know your name, I swear I do. As long as it's on the tip of my tongue. Sorry, what did you say? Yeah, I know. You
1: Laurie Lebay and I'm also uh the daughter of a mother who had dementia for 30 years and I'm thrilled to be here today. Uh we're going to have a wonderful show with you. We are lucky enough to have Cameron Kemp back and uh, his wife is joining him. Linda, they have written a wonderful book, and I'll get into that in just a minute. We always get new listeners, though, so I want to just tell people a little bit about Alzheimer's Speaks if you're new. Bottom line, we're an advocacy based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. We also help passionate companies expand their brand footprint by leveraging our content to increase access to products, services, and tools. Um, so that they can be made available uh, to those who are truly in need. And we also believe collaboration is the only way that we're going to win this battle against dementia. And I know that that's working thanks to each and every one of you. You see, your likes, your clicks, your share with your sphere of influence, be it um, Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or one of the so many other social media platforms disseminating information has gotten us recognized Um, by Oprah, uh, by Maria Shriver, and Dr. Oz. And I say that not to pat ourselves on the back, but to share those acknowledgments with our community here because it it wouldn't have happened without your support, your likes, and and your shares. So thank you so much uh, for being part of our community. I also like to always invite our audience to be uh, one of our next guests so if you have a topic of interest you know just reach out to me and we'll chat and we'll see if we can get you scheduled we believe in raising everyone's voice so if you are living with dementia if you are caring for a, a friend or a loved one maybe you're a business professional a researcher an author a movie director a singer a songwriter we we have a little bit of everybody on as well as advocates so we'd love to would love to hear from you I also want to just give a a huge, huge thank you uh, to the people in Chesterton, uh, Indiana. I was out there with their library system doing what they call community conversations, where I was able to uh, screen the film His Neighbor Phil a few times, and then also talk with their nursing students. Um, in the community, which was just, uh, it's always fun for me to do. And i hopefully informative for them, giving them ideas. I will be heading down to Melbourne, Florida, uh, this week on Thursday, and I'll be down there. Uh, I don't think I come back till Monday. And then the end of the month, I will be out in uh, northwest um, um Let's see, where the heck am I going? Northwest Rural Health Conference in Spokane, Washington, the 26th through, through the 28th. So if you're in those areas, you know, uh, come and see me. You can just go to alzheimerspeaks.com and check out uh, more details on our homepage there. And uh, let's go ahead and get started, and uh, let me introduce our guest. We are lucky enough to have Cameron Camp back with us. He is a gerontologist and a psychologist who trains caregivers in the use of person-centered treatments for persons with dementia, and his wife, Linda, is also with us today, and she is a retired Montessori teacher with over 25 years of classroom experience working with young kids. And um, like I said, I'm really excited to have them both on. So welcome, Cameron. How are you today?
2: Doing just great. Thank you for uh, having me today.
1: Well, wonderful, and thank you, Linda, for for joining us today as well. I'm excited to talk with you and and hear about your Montessori experience and and how you are working that with the uh, with the book in terms of helping helping people with dementia um, and teaching empathy and conflict resolution uh, to people with dementia. So, are you having a great day there, Linda? I am, thank you. And thank you for the opportunity
3: also.
1: Oh, good. Um, before I start with our line of questions, I always like to ask our guests, because it's good for our audience to know. And and the question that I like to ask is, have you been personally touched by dementia with, within your own circle of friends or family? And Linda, I'll let you go first, if you don't mind.
3: Uh, yes, my mother actually has Alzheimer's disease. And um, she is in a facility in Texas, and uh, I try and interact uh, with her as much as I can, but getting down to Texas isn't always easy. Uh, but I mm-hmm. do have uh, siblings that uh, that are caring
2: for my mother.
1: Okay, great. Thank you for sharing that. And Cameron, how about you? Yeah.
2: Um, I've been working with people with dementia over 30 years uh, professionally, But I've also had some very good friends uh, who uh, uh, have had dementia. Uh, One, uh, for example, had been a medical director at a long-term care uh, community. And uh, an MD, a very great man, uh, a very good soul, he uh, developed Alzheimer's disease. And uh, when he did so... um, he had difficulty getting his physician to write a prescription for rehabilitation because of his diagnosis. And that was the moment for me when it got personal. You know, that's when uh, uh, I began to really think of this, not simply in terms of, of work, but in terms of a mission. And Linda and I always say at this point in our lives, this, we don't have jobs anymore. We have a mission And it's Mm -hmm. about changing the way people think about dementia, uh, how dementia is treated, and about uh, giving control back to persons with dementia of their lives and really viewing this as a human rights issue.
1: Yep. Uh, Well, I'm right there with you on that one. It's uh, it's interesting. In fact, today we did our dementia chats where I interview people with dementia, and we were going to talk about you know what do they want people to know? You know, the, the the leaders and the emerging leaders to know. And we got off on a whole topic of what's a leader and who's an influencer and we can't really even have that discussion until companies and society and communities decide how they're going to listen to one another. And so it was kind of, kind of interesting, but yeah, their voice definitely needs to be put to the forefront. Um, Cameron, do you want to explain how you guys got this idea for the book?
2: Yeah. Linda and I were spending eight weeks in Australia About five years ago, um, I had been involved with a research project on how to use Montessori uh, activities as a way of engaging people with advanced dementia who also had high levels of agitation or aggression. And so we worked uh, with uh, researchers at Monash University there in Melbourne and with the Alzheimer's uh, Australia group to create a resource called Relate, Motivate and appreciate, mm-hmm. and we were brought over to uh, uh, take the training from this uh, resource around the country. So uh, Linda and I got to be in, you know, Melbourne and Tasmania and uh, 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 Sydney and Brisbane and Darwin and Adelaide and Perth and other places. And as part of that uh, journey where we sometimes worked with uh, professional caregivers and many times with family members, uh, we kept uh, hearing about their challenges, especially in uh, residential communities, of, of how do you get people with dementia to be able to you know, resolve conflicts? How do you deal with things like bullying or taunting, especially if people uh, have early stage dementia and, and they they say they don't want to be around people who have more advanced dementia, how to deal with those things.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: Linda looked at me and said, you know, we need to write a book. And, you know, this is what I've been dealing with in the classroom for, for decades. Uh, it's the same issues. These are human issues. These are This is not a child's issue or not a, a person with dementia's issue. And the tactics, the, the strategies, and the tools ought to be the same. And so... You know, being a dutiful husband, i I listened to my wife. And,
0: uh, <laughs> she's
2: She's been the inspiration for much of the good things I've done in my life. And so uh, you know, we began to uh, to talk about what that uh, that might look like.
1: okay um, linda, when when you guys uh, came to have this discussion, what was there like one thing that just hit you that that made you decide? boy we ha- we have to write this book was there was there a specific you know story or example that just uh, kind of slapped you in the face?
3: Well, I think that I kind of heard this from parents uh you know how do we take care of issues at home that we're dealing things so they don't spill over into the classroom and I thought you know when i when people would come up to me after a seminar and ask me questions about conflict I seem to always uh, go back into my classroom for the answer and uh, usually it made sense so Mm -hmm. uh, when it kept happening all the way across Darwin I thought this might be something that I can start helping um, with uh, Alzheimer's and dementia a way I could be a contributing factor
1: Wonderful. You know, one of the things we should probably clarify for our audience because many might not know what what the Montessori method is about. Can you kind of summarize that so people have a little feel for that?
3: Yes, it's it's kind of an individual process. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, it's uh, uh, independence, order, coordination; those are kind of the the themes. Uh, and so it's working individually. Uh, but also helping people with their weaknesses and strengths, but starting out with like um, a basic, uh, um, a basic um, uh, independence self-help works, like how do you button your shirt and, and things like that and taking care of the environment. The, the three main rules in, in a classroom are um, respect for self, respect for others, and respect for environment. Uh, So, uh, I think that is um, the values that we worked out of. And you're trying to get a child to be independent, not depending on people, be able to think for themselves, uh, problem solved. Uh, So, um, that's kind of what the philosophy is. It's working toward independence. Uh, All of the materials in the classroom are uh, self-regulating or self-correcting so that you're not being told this is the wrong way to do it, you you find that out for yourself, and so
2: okay. it's a, a beautiful a beautiful way of teaching. And and in dementia care, the values are identical: respect, dignity, and equality. Everything is based on that, which is of course the basis of all person-centered care. And so mm-hmm. the idea is how to create um, a place to live that any person would want to live in with or without dementia so for example uh, you know what makes a, a home you know, a home is a place where you have purposeful activity where you have a role in the family and in the community you have a reason to wake up in the morning you have choice and so how can we create what we call resident driven communities in memory care how can we enable residents to choose for themselves uh, what activities they want to do how they want to greet new members of the community, uh, what outings they want to go uh, on. Uh, We also say we give prizes to the staff member who, uh, who does the least because it means they work with the residents to enable the residents to do as much for themselves as possible to take care of their own community. And so we use these Montessori principles of encouraging independence and creating community. And apply these uh, to memory care because these are universal human principles. It's, well, in it's part, about creating the place we would all want to live.
1: And part of that, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, is is feeling like you belong. You know, when we're independent, a lot of times people can think of that as, as an isolating factor, but I think, um, you know, we're talking about being independent so you can be part of a community and, and feeling useful and part of.
2: Right, because, because we create committees, for example. And mm-hmm. so everyone has a chance to voice their opinion, but you know the committees can decide, for example, where they would like to go on outings and mm-hmm. where you know, they would uh, uh, like to put their energy, what sort of charitable activity they would like to take part in. So you have these people with dementia who are saying, you know, how can we help people who are less fortunate than us so mm-hmm. it's, it's about being able to help each other, to be able to do as much for yourself as possible, but to also have that strong sense of belonging, of belonging to, to a community, of knowing who your neighbors are. And so this is, this is the way all of us want to live, and this is what we see as the model of memory care for the future.
1: Well you know I always have a saying What's good for dementia is good for the world And everything yes. you're saying Really applies I mean we need it in our politics right now I think you know oh. Just this whole <laughs> bit about respect for self And others and environment And, and the dignity and quality um, And um, you know Pulling people together There's so many so many places in our world Right now where where we've lost that It's almost like it was a fine art That we've that we've lost, and um, we need to develop this skill set. I think in all areas of our life, um, if we're going to find kind of that peacefulness and joy, and that that sense of of contentment and quality in our life, um, it's it's a it's a really really good thing. That um, you you can't really go wrong with it. I mean, it's just. Um, What's good for one is good for the others. There's, there's, I, anyways, I have not seen, and, and Linda, correct me if I'm wrong, but I haven't seen kind of a negative side to the Montessori model at all. I mean, it's everything I've always seen or heard has been extremely positive and um, and really well flowing.
3: Yeah, well, you know, just like um, in a Montessori classroom, uh, in most classrooms that I was in. We were always multi I mean, there were times when several different languages would be spoken in our classroom, um, and besides English. So, you know, we were always working to pull uh, children together from different cultural backgrounds. Um, because the Montessori classroom I was in, which was pre-K, uh, uh, by a two-and-a-half to five-year-old, six-year-old, mm-hmm. um, usually that was their first social experience.
0: So mm-hmm. we were...
3: Trying to help develop that empathy and how to work with conflict resolution in a peaceful manner. And uh, you're right; it's, it's it's kind of lacking in uh, in what's happening today. Um, so uh, our, our our Montessori Montessori always believed that uh, there is a way of uh, bringing peace in a world, not just in just in your little area, but throughout the country. And that's why she always said. Um, that she was a citizen of the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, And we, in our book, we we also cite Gandhi who said, uh, you know, peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the ability to uh, resolve conflict. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's the whole idea behind, you know, the book is to give people tools, uh, to give people uh, also ways of thinking in terms of, you know, how do you teach uh, a person to be able to resolve conflict. If, uh, if they're three years old, uh, you know, you, they may have tr- difficulty looking at the world from someone else's point of view. Um, they may have difficulty initially experiencing empathy, but that may also be true of someone who's uh, 83, who's never heard the word no before in their life, and mm-hmm. who suddenly has to live with other people. Uh, and so these are skills, and these are habits that can be learned and that can be practiced and when you have an environment that supports this approach and that gives people uh, continual practice using these things and uh, uh, living this way uh, that's really how most people want to live they want to be able to feel safe and and not threatened and uh, you know to be to be part of uh, of a community and so You know, the parallels are there. Uh, The other thing we say is that, you know, if we're really successful at creating person-centered care, then you're not going to have residential care for persons with memory impairment. You're not going to see people anymore sitting in chairs along the wall with their chin on their chest. If you have that environment, there's no conflict. But if you have a group Mm -hmm. of individuals who are expressing themselves and who may not have, you know, lived, uh, communally for a long time or if ever, and they have to try to live together, you're going to potentially see an increase in conflict unless you give people the tools they need to be able to, to deal with differences of opinion, to tolerate differences of opinion as well.
0: mm mm-hmm
1: yeah one of my uh, friends daniela um greenwood over in australia she talks about uh, over there they they don't separate memory care everyone is just integrated mm-hmm. together and she says everybody has a right to citizenship no matter yes. you know what age no matter what uh disease they have um, they have a right to be part of the community and an active part, and I just think that mm-hmm. that 's such a beautiful statement because we we have tended to um, segregate people and the fear of this disease and you see it um, you see it so often even in assisted livings or even market rate as people age they don 't want to be around those old people or they don 't want to be around those
0: mm-hmm. sick
1: people. They discriminate Mm -hmm. a lot against themselves because there's such great fear instead of embracing that, you know, we're we're all going to get older and we're all probably going to get sick and and we're not going to have a a, a, a lot of ability to change that. And so do we want to be the person ostracized or do we want to continue to be part of a community? And if we want that, why shouldn't others have the right to that as well? And, um, oh, go ahead, Linda. I was going to
3: say in the Montessori classroom, that's kind of the reason why it's divided into age groups, like the two-and-a-half to five-year-olds would be together, uh, then the six to nine, the nine to 12. And her thought was, first of all, it was developmentally appropriate, but also the older students were there to help the younger students and as the year progressed uh the five year olds would start helping with lessons for the three year olds so mm-hmm. you know it's it's not just one working uh, through uh this process it's it's the community working through it and helping each other
0: so mm-hmm.
3: i think uh, that's what uh, you're trying cameron's also trying to do with um with uh, developing communities for dementia and alzheimer's disease
2: Right, because yeah. you're spot on, uh, Lori. When you talk about fear driving things like bullying in, mm-hmm. uh, in in senior care, and and people saying, "I don't want to be around those people," uh, and so the question is, you know, how do you get past that? And so it's a it's a two step process. The first is, you know, trying to teach empathy and let the person who say has earlier uh, stage uh, dementia uh, think about how the person that they're taunting or making fun of or or trying to ostracize, how that person must feel. How would you feel if you were in this circumstance? And then the second step is can we find a role so that the person with uh, earlier stage, the parallel is the older child in the Montessori schoolroom, can play a part to help the person with more advanced dementia and, uh, for Mm -hmm. instance, lead a, a discussion group or an activity for a group of residents with more advanced dementia and be able to begin to see the humanity in these people, not just look for the stereotype, but learn how to look for their strengths and to, to see that they are still uh, very real human beings and persons with strengths and backgrounds and, and humor and all of the the human qualities that are, that are there waiting to be uh, seen if you want to look for them. And so, Mm -hmm. It's a process, uh, again, you know, paralleling what you see in the Montessori classroom of, you know, how do you get past uh, stereotyping, even among people in memory care for people with more advanced dementia or people in assisted living for people who are in memory care? How do you get past the stereotyping that's been pumped in, you know, to our our belief system and and get past the fear? And, And the answer is to let people see the humanity.
0: To yeah. let people
2: understand that these are persons, and that they feel the same way you do when uh, when they're ostr- when they're ostracized or made fun of or or just you know, kept apart simply because of the way they may look or the may- way they may talk.
1: Yeah, I think another piece to that, too, though, Cameron, is there's the there's the stigma for um, who we're caring for with dementia, you know, the show mm-hmm. of the body and the end stage that everybody thinks everyone's in. And, um, you know, they don't mm-hmm. go from zero to 100, typically, in, in two seconds. And uh, but, but I think the other side is how we care. You know, we've got to change yes. those words from caregiver, which says, I'm giving it all away. I'm not getting anything back. To mm-hmm. um, so care companion and care um, partner, which says i 'm in a relationship again and and when I give, i receive and i and I will yeah. always receive, no matter you know who who i 'm dealing with if it 's a stranger or if it 's a loved one it doesn 't make any difference that we impact one another and You know, for me, I've been talking about this a lot lately and I'd love to know your thoughts, but I'd almost like to see us change from the word person centered because I think it's overused and Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of melted down into to start using verbiage of being relationship based, because I think that gets to the heart to heart piece that we are all humans and we all have feelings and we all you know, the reactions that we see, um, no matter if it's a ch- if it's a child, if it's our spouse, if it's somebody with mentioned, it doesn't make any difference. When we don't like someone's reaction, we call it a behavior instead of looking at it as a signal that something is wrong. And this is yes, why they're yes. asking. Um, it, exactly.
2: We, it's what's it, called a responsive behavior rather than a, a problematic or a challenging behavior because as you know, Jessica Cohen-Mansfield talked about it's, it's in response to an unmet human need. And
0: mm-hmm. you're right.
2: It's all about relationship. That's what community is all about. It's all about relationship and, you know, recognizing the the humanity in the other person. Linda and I were in the south of France, you know, about two years ago. We are having dinner with a, a group of people who were associated with a nursing home uh, group. And a physician... Uh, who was a medical director looked at us from across the table and said, is it really possible for a person with advanced dementia to feel happiness and to be happy? And, you know, it's like Linda and I looked at each other. We were stunned, you know, mm-hmm. but that's, that's what's out there. Sometimes people, the, the stigma, the stereotype is that, and, and this is a quote from another, you know, researcher, uh, you know that the idea that the person loses their humanity as mm-hmm. the dementia progresses. So the next day, you know we were giving a, a presentation at a conference, and I showed a videotape of a woman with advanced dementia who was learning to play the piano. Mm-hmm. And uh, the look on her face, the serenity and the joy when she was doing that, was just so. Obvious, and you know, I stopped the video at that moment when she was looking at the camera, and I looked at the audience, and I looked at the physician who was sitting in the audience, and I said, "You tell me, is this person capable of feeling happiness?" And so that's mm-hmm. you know it, it's about relationship, it's about recognizing the humanity and connecting with that humanity in a good relationship, regardless you know of the stage of the disease.
1: Yeah. Well, and some of it, don't you think, is we, we, and it makes me laugh because, you know, people know with dementia, people are going to lose certain skill sets and words and ability to communicate is one of them. And yet we try to force people to still Mm -hmm. talk to us and answer in a fashion. And we, we neglect to utilize our skill set of reading nonverbals. From people because we're so used to texting or communicating with people that we're not seeing, and there's there's so much. I mean, three quarters of our communication is nonverbal. There's so much that can be read and told to us if we just pay attention. And and yes, I think that yes. that is so missed nowadays. And it's a um, it's a skill set I think that has to be re taught and brought up to the forefront again. Because it, it will look really different, but we're not paying attention to the eyes and the smiles and the giggles and the you know um, the stance um, yeah, all of those things that are, are very, very powerful communicators with this right. you know what Something thing I just realized is I don't think I've said the name of the book, which is Teaching Empathy and Conflict Resolution to People with Dementia. Um, that would be pretty important for our audience to know. And a lot of people are probably going to ask the question, oh, I thought this was about teaching care partners or professionals empathy and conflict resolution. But you're actually teaching the people with dementia. How to
0: maneuver yeah, yes,
1: and, yes, and that's a huge difference from what I think again, part of it is the stigma, Well, how would they know how to deal with that? They can't be taught anything new.
2: No. <laughs> yeah, and that's a real a real negative stereotype that's just not uh, supported by by research. Persons mm-hmm. with dementia can continue to learn. Uh, this is this is critical. You know we always say in in our trainings, you know there's an easy test for that. If you work in a day center or in residential care, look at what happens if you accidentally sit uh, a person uh, in memory care in the seat that someone else has been sitting in at lunch. Yep. that person comes and says, "That's my seat." Mm-hmm. And they learned that location. They learned that location. And they may not remember how they learned it or when they learned it, but it's an unconscious and it's an automatic, it's an effortless form of learning that's available early on in childhood, this location learning, and that's available to people with dementia. And so, uh, uh, for example, you can also learn to go to a place like a peace corner uh, within an environment, which is where you go to settle uh, differences. Uh, Mm -hmm. People have habits but they can also learn new habits uh, and they can learn new associations. Uh, one example we give is an example from classical conditioning in the book where we talk about a preemptive nice. So mm-hmm. if you have a, uh, uh, a resident in memory care who hates a staff member for whatever reason, uh, uh, the staff member often feels trapped and they think, you know, I have to deliver care, but this person is, you know, tells, calls me all kinds of terrible names. What am I supposed to do? So we talk about approaching the person at the beginning and end of each shift, staying out of arm's reach. You look at them, mm-hmm. you pay them a compliment. You say something like, you know, I love those earrings or, you know, you're looking really nice today. And then you can walk away. And that's probably a very different episode than they're used to, and the the feelings they have when they get a compliment uh, done repeatedly become associated with the person who pays the compliment. So as we say, it's called a preemptive nice, and Mm -hmm. they can learn to like you, and they may not remember why they like you, and it simply doesn't matter. Uh, You can also learn to like them when they start responding to you in a positive way, and the same approach can be done between residents, where you can get residents to learn to like each other if they have positive associations with each other as well. And so, uh, these are forms of learning that are human forms of learning uh, available to uh, to everyone. And so, you know, we we again go to that Montessori classroom where uh, you have a puzzle of um, the pieces uh, are made out of wood. Each is in the shape of a state of the United States. And the children pick up each piece with a little wooden peg, and they put it on its outline for the map of the United States. After they've done it a while, they, they put the pieces together without the outlines, but they learn to do that. What's interesting, though, is the peg for each piece is located where the state capital is. So mm-hmm. for Wyoming, it's in the lower-hand corner where Cheyenne is. And unconsciously, automatically, effortlessly, the children learn the locations of the state capitals. And so this location learning, like where you sit or where you go if you want to resolve conflicts, where to look if you want to remember the rules of a community, these Mm forms of learning are there early, and Montessori was a genius at using them, and they remain available to people with dementia if we want to use them.
1: Well, you know, I like. The, I mean, just even when you talked about going to the peace corner versus time <laughs> You know, yeah. timeout out is a is a shaming thing, and the peace corner is an empowerment thing. Going, you can you can do this. You know, yes, let's it. And the this peace
2: out. corner can be a place where both people go to resolve their mm-hmm. conflict, rather than mm-hmm. rather than one person, you know, going there. Uh, you know, Linda uh, would you know have a peace corner set up in her. Uh, in her classroom, and you know, this was a, a place where uh, you can go to uh, to resolve conflicts. And the key, of course, was that you practice the habits and you learn the habits of uh, of peaceful uh, resolution uh, in advance. It's part of the part of the training, part of the teaching, and we can do the same thing in uh, um, memory care as well. I know Linda had a had a an approach that involved role-playing by by teachers for, uh, you know, how to do uh, conflict resolution.
3: Mm -hmm. Right. Every every year at the beginning of the year, you wanted to set a tone for the classroom, and we would use role-play as the model. Um, Two teachers would uh, role-model a conflict, say name-calling, and we'd role-model it without using the rules of the class. Uh, and it would usually have to end up where we were separated, Um, and that's only a Band-Aid. Then we would role model again using our classroom rules uh, for a win-win situation um, and uh, using iMessages and coming out with a good solution. Uh, Then we used to ask our class which one was better and why. So we role modeled right off at the beginning of the year to set the tone because eventually we were hoping that they would want to uh, do their own problem solving, doing their own conflict resolution. And um, Peace Corners were used uh, as a help. But what we found was after doing this for a while that they were able to develop empathy for each other. And the benefit also was that the, conflict resolu- the conflicts were decreasing. So we mm-hmm. weren't finding that we were having to uh, be, there was no having to do conflict resolution. They were solving their mm-hmm. problem along the way, which is where you want to be.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, now, Cameron, you talk about persons with Alzheimer's disease and, and other forms, you know, of dementia being able you know to learn and you know you talked that there's resource or uh, research to back that up when you are out in communities and, and talking about this what is your response from the general public if it's staff i know you had the one doctor that was like is it really possible but what what, what is your overall response from people
0: Yeah,
2: initially, people don't believe it uh, because they've been told a person with Alzheimer's disease or other dementias can't learn new things. And so uh, what we say is, uh, you know, they have to see it to believe it.
0: They -hmm. have to
2: see people with dementia learning and also displaying competence and um, being able to, uh, using a Montessori term, normalize and Behave like a quote normal in quote person, and it's mm-hmm. only after they see it that you that you get past that barrier. So we, in our training, we show a lot of videos. Um, mm-hmm. People have to see it, and then we say, you know, and it's not enough uh, for you to watch videos. You have to go back and work with the people that uh,
0: um,
2: are are living there and demonstrate to the other staff what these residents, what these persons who have dementia, are capable of doing. They have to see mm-hmm. it for themselves. So that's always the, the key. We say, you know, you have to work a miracle. Mm-hmm. You know, If you believe a person with dementia can never get better, that they'll, they'll only get worse, they can't learn anything new, uh, then when you demonstrate that they can learn and they can improve, that's a miracle because it's not supposed to be possible. So the good news is it's pretty easy to do using Montessori approaches. And
0: mm-hmm. then you hit the
2: second barrier, and that is, well, you can do it, but I can't. So it's all Mm -hmm. about enabling staff and family members to to use the techniques also and to begin to realize that uh, we are not powerless in the face of dementia. We have many tools. Uh, We can enable people with dementia to learn new things, new procedures. Uh, uh, For example, uh, one procedure is a thing called a talking stick, which has been used a lot in uh, peace uh, uh, tactics in Mm
0: -hmm. conflict
2: resolution. It was even used in the U.S. Senate when there was debate about uh, how to keep the government open and how to uh, do a a funding resolution. And in the office of Senator Collins uh, of Maine, the people from different sides, the senators, had a talking stick. And the person who holds the talking stick gets to speak, and the other people listen, and then the talk, the stick is uh, is passed. And what I hear uh, is that uh, uh, they switched to a basketball because they wanted to, to move the discussions more quickly. But that mm-hmm. process of learning how to listen and to not talk over somebody else is a process that can be uh, uh, taught uh, uh, to people with dementia, uh, to children, or even to U.S. Senators. Now, I know Linda had a thing called uh, the talking rock. Uh, was that what you used?
3: Yes. Um, in one uh, dementia setting, we heard that people were using a microphone to pass around. So that was, uh, mm-hmm. that was interesting.
2: Yeah, the microphone wasn't plugged in, but mm-hmm. when people held the microphone, everybody else listened to them. And so that was like their, their talking stick.
0: Okay.
1: Well, when you said talking stick, I was thinking of Congress using it and then it was well, I was glad you mentioned that cuz it's uh, uh you know uh, it, again, it's a tool. It's a tool that's out yes. there. I think Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, exactly. Um and I think it's really important when you were when you mentioned people saying, "Well, you can do it, but I can't." I think I think a lot of these changes and a lot of these tools are um, much simpler to use than people believe that they can Mm -hmm. be. You know, they they really are um, almost things that I think have been ingrained in us, and for whatever reason, we've pushed them aside. And so some of them are like kind of riding a bike, you know, you don't forget how. It's scary if you haven't been on it for a while and you might feel a little wibbly, but it'll come back to you um, fairly fairly quickly. Because I think the the kudos that you get from utilizing these tools, you know, the way they make you feel as an individual, um, they make you feel like you're a better person and you... I think also learn in this process of of empathy to enjoy someone else's joy or contentment. You know, it's not just about busyness and tasks. It's really yeah. about taking in the whole.
0: No, that's that's
2: exactly true. And I mean, there there are all kinds of tools like uh, um, being able to, uh, well, one of the things we talk about is there's interesting research about walking as a way mm-hmm. of reducing conflicts and creating walking clubs in memory care so that people walk together. Um, Mm -hmm. And basic, you know, in our language, there's things like, you know, we're going in the same direction, you know, uh, you're keeping up with me. uh, And so, you know, that's a a tool. Another one uh, that Linda and I discovered uh, uh, in in some of our other work is to – learn how to ask, not just, uh, not just to apologize, but to learn how to ask for forgiveness Mm -hmm. to say, uh, not just to say, I'm sorry, but to also say, would you, would you please forgive me for doing that? Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: that's riskier because, you know, you, you give the power to the other person, but it's also a way of getting like past the conflict and wiping the slate clean and feeling better about, uh, uh, uh each other and so uh, there there these are human these are human tools that are incredibly useful and can be learned uh, whether or not you have dementia you can learn the procedure and you can learn what to do in the right circumstances you may not mm-hmm. remember who taught you or when you learned it and that's irrelevant.
0: Mm-hmm. It's all
2: about being able to have new habits that are, uh, designed to promote uh, peace and conflict resolution and empathy and learning to live by those habits. And when you do, whether or not you have dementia, you have, as uh, you said, you have a better life, you feel better about yourself.
1: Yeah. Now, um, you had just mentioned some of the approaches in your book: the empathy, the the conflict resolution, the mindfulness. We haven't talked a, a whole lot about, and peaceful environments. Can you highlight each of those, um, maybe with an example, so people um, can visualize what your what these are?
2: Sure. So, for example, uh, to have a, a peaceful environment. Uh, you would have the rules of the community posted, and you would mm-hmm. have the, the community help put them together. So in one community, for example, one of the rules is you know no insulting uh, another member of the community.
0: Um, mm-hmm. uh,
2: it, uh, if you insult someone, you must apologize or uh, uh, walk away. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so it's about you know, what? Values do we want to live by as a community? And, and I've heard instances of where if there's a uh, an argument starting to break out uh, uh, and name-calling during a discussion, during a committee, uh, the committee members will point to the rules on the wall and say, watch out, you, know, you signed mm-hmm. this too. And that <laughs> short-circuits everything.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh,
2: you have environments like that. You also want to have an environment – that reduces conflict. So one reason you have a lot of conflict uh, uh, in uh, uh, memory care is people go into the wrong rooms and they'll think mm-hmm. it's their room and it's somebody else's. So the question is, you know, why does that happen? We always, you know, we always look at why is this happening? And we have a, you know, another book on that called H- hiding the stranger in the mirror about you know, why do you get these behaviors and dementia what to do about them. But one example is, Uh, we like to use in our training is we ask people if they've ever put their uh, room key in a hotel in the wrong door. Mm
0: -hmm. And most
2: people have. And then the question Mm -hmm. is this, is that because you have dementia? And the answer is no, all the rooms look alike. Mm
0: -hmm. And then we
2: say, you know, well, but if a person with dementia goes into the wrong room, we say it's because they have dementia, but it's the same issue. Mm
0: -hmm. So, you know,
2: how can we personalize rooms and design environments so that it's easy for a person in memory care to know what room is theirs and what room is not theirs. And so how can we, you know, personalize environments so that you're less likely to have a conflict in the first place because someone goes into the wrong room. Also, Mm -hmm. you know, can you have staff as part of their job, give people uh, residents practice looking for landmarks and looking Mm -hmm. for distinguishing features so that the staff, enable residents to develop the habit of knowing what to do, knowing where to look, to know what room is yours and what room is not yours. So mm-hmm. there you have this blending of a physical environment and a social environment that's designed to enable a person to know where their room is, to, to avoid conflict in the first place. And that's always the best way to, to deal with conflict is to set up situations where you, uh, where you won't have it. We also have a, mm-hmm. a brief section on mindfulness, and uh, I think Linda and I and, and some colleagues around the world may be putting together a mindfulness uh, for persons with dementia book in the in the future. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, if you think about mindfulness, it's about being able to live in the moment, to experience the moment. I mean, it may be that people with dementia are more capable of being mindful, if you think of it from that perspective, learning how to, to meditate learning how to uh, uh, focus your attention, learning how to experience things with, uh, uh, as we call it, uh, or as it's called in mindfulness, the beginner's mind. These are all habits that are to be developed and mm-hmm. persons with dementia can create new habits. So we're going to be uh, actually giving a presentation at the Michigan Assisted Living Association in the, uh, Not Too Distant Future, about mindfulness in in persons with dementia. And you know what's really nice about all of these techniques, including mindfulness, is that if these are procedures and these are habits, and if persons with dementia can learn procedures and learn habits, then it ought to be possible for people with dementia to lead activities and teach habits to people with dementia. Mm -hmm. So we're also going to be doing some research in the near future looking at Mindfulness groups for people with dementia led by people with dementia. And that's how you can sustain something because they make it their own. So uh, this is, once again, as Linda was saying, you you have older children teaching, giving lessons to uh, the younger children, and everything spirals back to that Montessori classroom.
1: Yep. Yeah, I just had Curtie um, on with the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation, and they have, they have a, what is it called, the Kirti Krista, I might be pronouncing it wrong, meditation, um, but it's mm-hmm. finger movements and then, um, you know, a chant with it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very powerful. It's research-based um, and simple to do and uh it, it was they might be somebody that you want to connect with on that as well but there's uh, it's it's nice to see more of that coming about and you know you had said it might be easier for someone with dementia to to be more mindful and i think part of it is is what they tell me anyways um and maybe you hear different but um that they're so tired of their mind being busy all the time. They really appreciate when it's quiet because, you know, for them to participate um, and a lot of times get bullied because they, they look normal, they act normal, and people don't understand how much work that is. And so I always tell people Mm -hmm. think about when you don't fit in and how uncomfortable that is and how much more that takes out of you you know, mm-hmm. to be part, um, they're, they're, they're like that 24-7, <laughs> you know. that's, yeah. a, that's a It's lot
0: exhausting.
1: Of, ex- exactly. And so um, Harry Urban, uh, one of my, my favorite people with uh, dementia, you know, he, he has the statement he uses, I like to relax before I got dementia. I still do. You know, revel in my peacefulness. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You don't have to keep me busy all the time and we all like to rest um but as as care partners we think it's our job to keep people busy and it and that's how we get filled is by because we're so task oriented we get filled by doing something instead of just being you know and and so just telling people how many times do you like to just sit next to somebody and and not even say a word but you're comfortable we we forget about we forget about those little easy, simple things of being connected. Um, Linda, I'd like to ask you if there's anything you'd like to add about um, the positioning of the book and and how you wrote it. We've got about seven minutes left here. Um, Anything you want to point out in particular with the book?
3: Well, uh, just now you were talking uh, about the quiet and peacefulness, and I think that's uh, another thing uh, that you try to. Prom- we're trying to promote is that you get give the person choice, and that choice mm-hmm. is everything. And you know, you you can choose to to uh, do your own activity or be a part of the group, and and I think that's important. Um,
1: uh, I think that's it.
0: <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah, it's uh, um. It, well, it it gets back to appreciating the whole person. You know, and and how how we all like to live. You know, we we have our quiet times and we have our busy times. And a person with dementia is absolutely no different um, than the rest of us. And many times, um, what they tell me is that their other senses are heightened. You know, if they can't communicate as well, so their their hearing, their sight, um, their their emotional senses are all heightened, and so I think that that's something that we have to be aware of too when we are dealing with people and in dealing with the environment. of. So, well, I'm right. hearing this. are they
0: mm-hmm.
2: Right. We also talk about a uh, an activity that's called a thanking circle, and uh, mm-hmm. Yitka Zagola, who uh, uh, has written a lot of work on uh, on. Um, Activity for Persons with Dementia is the idea behind it. But it's where the community gets together. And, again, you have something that's like a talking stick, but when you have the stick, you thank another resident or you thank uh, 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 God or you thank uh, uh, a a staff member or a family member for something that they did. It could be something like, you know, as simple as, you know, I want to thank uh, uh, Julie for always being so pleasant when, uh, when she uh, comes to breakfast in the morning and always having something nice to say. But once again, that is a community-building activity. It is a way for people to take turns speaking and turns listening. It's a way to reinforce looking for the good in people. It's mm-hmm. a way for looking for what's good in our lives and uh, uh, to see uh, residents in memory care expressing their their gratitude for the good mm-hmm. things in their lives and seeing those good things in their lives is is very inspiring and you're absolutely right. This, there is no them, there is no us there, uh, you know uh, uh, we are all uh, just human beings with, with our own strengths and our own weaknesses and Coming to realize that is, I think, the key. It's, it's how we build empathy within ourselves uh, for other people as well. And you know, in our book, we say it all starts within ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're not peaceful, if we're shouting, uh, if we're uh, acting agitated, uh, it will, uh, it will express itself in the behavior of other people. And so, mm-hmm. everything starts with taking these uh, ideas. And, uh, incorporating them into our own being and making our own lives better. And when we can model these things, we can live these values, we can learn and use these habits. Uh, we can teach others, but we'll also have better lives ourselves.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I think that that is, you know, one of the biggest gifts is, again, getting back to what's good for dementia is good for all of us. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: it teaches us to find the the peacefulness and the respect and the joy that's right before us that, you know, many times we're not looking for because we've been told to fear something, we've been told to, um, you know, feel uncomfortable in its presence. And, you know, when we can shift that mindset to saying, hey, you know what, none of us is perfect and we all got our little quirks. <laughs> and, yes. and, uh you know, let's just let's be accepting of this and let's learn more about it so that we can all live a better life alongside it. You know, walk with it gracefully. Uh, I just think that's uh, so important. Go ahead, Linda. I think that,
3: I'm sorry. I think that people are are walking on I feel like they're walking on eggshells when they meet or see a person with dementia even in their own relatives
0: mm-hmm. and
3: um, my best experience has been just comfortable and talking with people uh, that they respond uh, mm-hmm. to that and feel normal um, and part of, uh, of the conversation instead of uh, being talked uh, at they're being talked to
0: mm-hmm. and um,
3: I, think, uh, I think that's um, something that we, we that's, a, that's a barrier we all need to just relax and talk to them like they're normal people they are normal they just have a memory deficit and uh, just enjoy their um, interaction and who they are and uh, I think that's a gift you can give yourself and to them It's just being normal and letting them feel
2: normal, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll always remember when uh, we were Linda and I were working with the uh, family members and the uh, persons with dementia living with them, and uh Linda was working with the the persons with dementia in one group I was working with family members and uh, a woman with dementia came up to Linda afterwards and said uh, uh, it felt so good to feel normal again
0: mm-hmm. and
2: uh that's really what it's all about how can we normalize memory care how can we give people who happen to have that particular challenge the capacity to feel and to be normal uh, to have the life that all of us want to
1: live yeah well and laughter uh, is such a big piece of that too you know the silliness of life you know i i think we we forget about that well people can go to your website w w w c e n four a r yep that's mm-hmm. c e n number four a ar dot com or they can email Cameron at cameron at c e n number four. R or A R D uh, dot com and you can pick up the book, Teaching Empathy, and Conflict Resolution to People with Dementia um, on Amazon. I'd also like to um, just mention the Memory Cafe Directory. You can find out where one is located uh, near you. Just go to the Memory Cafe dot com. And then also I'd like to mention the Women's Alzheimer's Movement uh, by Maria Schreiber. You can go to the womensalzheimersmovement.org for more information. She should be rolling out her event, Move for Minds, uh, I think, the end of this. And thank you all so much for being with us. And Linda and Cameron, again, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Bye now. Thank you.
2: It was a
0: pleasure.